0: making connections and so we're going to make a connection with our hands and hopefully that'll help make a connection in our brains um, as we think and then we can as we ponder what we're building with our lego maybe we'll also ponder what god is building and doing in our lives uh, as he works Um, so uh, at the end don't don't need to rush to pack up that back table then we can just i can put that in right at the end enjoy it play with it Um, if you want there's a little sign back there it says i made the connection you can put your little creation in front of it take a picture of it if you want and uh it's just to have a little bit of fun this morning to help us connect a little bit with the the message wednesday evening we're going to continue with our our study we started this week on the love of god it was good to have many of you at dinner this week it reminded me back when we first moved down here and and started we we started having bible studies on tuesday nights we didn't have sunday morning we started with a tuesday night bible study to meet people and and then we would have dinner before that bible study every week and we met a few people along the way that would come and share so it reminded me of that and we'll do it more often um, in the weeks ahead being able to uh, sit and share some some dinner and, and all before we study god's word together but this week we're going to continue to look at you have some of the thoughts from First John chapter 4, verse 16, that God is love. We saw the the first initial part of that, the defining what we mean by the love of God this week. And we'll look at how personal that is this Wednesday evening. But this morning, let's jump right into Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is our text for this morning. <clears throat> And uh, as I mentioned, um, I've titled this Making the Connection. And uh, that's the kind of theme we're going to work through this morning as we consider Acts chapter 10. We're going to do the whole chapter. Um, It's it's a longer chapter. In fact, it's one of the longest parts in the book of Acts that Luke gives us. But it's uh, one continuous story. So we're going to read through the whole thing so we get it all together. And then we'll start um, piecing it together and looking at what God is doing here. So Acts chapter 10, and beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, When he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep, bound at the four corners, descending to, to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what god has cleansed you must not call common this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again now while peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant behold the men who had been sent from cornelius had made inquiry for simon's house and stood before the gate and they called and asked whether simon whose surname was peter was lodging there while peter thought about the vision The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down and go with them, without doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you To his house and to hear words from you then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them and the following day they entered Caesarea now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter was coming in Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him but Peter lifted him up saying stand up I myself am also a man And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour and at the ninth hour i prayed in my house behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said cornelius your prayer has been heard and your arms are remembered in the sight of god send therefore to joppa and call simon here whose surname is peter he is lodging in the house of simon a tanner by the sea when he comes he will speak to you so i sent to you immediately and you have done well to come Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all judea and began from galilee after the baptism which john preached how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for god was with him and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the jews and in jerusalem who they killed by hanging on a tree him god raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all people but to witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Our heavenly father, as we come to your word and we look into this magnificent moment in history. Teach us from it and encourage our hearts in it. That we might find joy and strength to serve you in this world and to understand your work in us and around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, when you go on holidays or you drive somewhere, you know, out of a distance, you know, there's there's usually two kinds of people, isn't there? Um, You're know, like like me, and then there's Kirsten. So me, it's all right. It's going to take us two and a half hours to get there. Let's go, and we we go, and we've got a time to keep, and we'll say we're making good time. And then there's Kirsten who, well, let's stop. Let's enjoy the scenery along the way. And maybe you like to stop at all the little uh, op shops and things along the way and just take your time and enjoy the journey as it goes through. It's not just about the destination, but about how you get there. Sometimes we can read the Bible like that. We know the the end, we know what the destination is, and we we read and we come to it looking for that destination, read it looking at the the end result, the big picture of what is there and what is happening, and miss some of the beauty of the details along the way. The big picture here of Acts chapter 10 is wonderful, and it's very important. We've mentioned it before as we've, we've made our way up to it, it sits here in the middle, pretty much the middle of the book of Acts. And it's one of the longest accounts that Luke puts in here, um, indicating how important he thought it was as a moment in the history of the early church. And we, we look at that and, and it tells us how the gospel breaks out of the, the Jewishness, if you will. It breaks out from the Jews to go to the Gentiles. And then from from here, it just spreads through the Gentile world. We can't underestimate how significant a moment this is uh, in terms of the grand purpose of God and what God has done in the world. As wonderful as that is and as magnificent as it is that when we sit here and we look at this, we see the gospel breaking into the world as a whole and and begin to move out and the spirit come upon the Gentiles, as wonderful as that is, it's the details of this moment that make this a truly magnificent event. God's grand eternal purpose of reaching the world with the gospel Happens personally in individual lives so as we look at this as we we look here and we see this moment where God moves the the, the gospel from being bound in the you know, sort of the, the regions of Israel into the people of Israel and moves it out into the world don't see just that big picture but what God is doing is he does that through the salvation of a man and his family and therein is the beauty of this passage. that it's, it's got this amazingly grand purpose. But that amazingly grand purpose is accomplished in a deeply, deeply personal way. Is this about the advancement of God's kingdom? Yes, yes, it absolutely is. But it's also about how a man and his family get saved. It's not just connection the connection between the eternal and the personal. We see the work of God behind the scenes that connects lives. So as we look at this, there's a few things I want to see and, and try and draw some connections here about how God connects things in our life and connects himself to the world. So we're going to work on this, this sentence, if you will, or this thought that God reaches out, brings us together, And connects us so let's start with this first idea that God reaches out we see this in the first you know 23 verses here where God reaches out one to Cornelius and then also to to Peter God reaches out to draw the lost he reaches out to draw the lost we've talked about this before how god seeks you how god seeks people cornelius was an important man just to let you know who he was an important man he is a centurion which means he was a man who was in charge of about a hundred men in a you know a group a bigger group of battalion there but he was in charge of about a hundred men today if if i understand it right from what commentators and, and people say he'd be probably like the equivalent of a modern day captain in the military these days. So he was an important man and you know, fairly influential in the military where he was at. Typically, these types of men, these centurions or these, these captains, were not chosen because they were fearless men of battle. So these weren't the, the guys like uh, you we know, see in the movie who are you know, leading the charge and running out and, and battling to the very last breath. They, typically, centurions weren't those men. They were usually chosen because they were steadfast, faithful, countable, you could count on them type of men. They would stand their ground and hold their place until the very end. And that's why they chose a man, because they knew that if they chose this guy, he would be faithful. He would stand there, and he would stand his ground and do what was needed to do. So that's the type of character we would expect to see in Cornelius. He's part of what we're told here is the Italian regiment or the Italian uh, cohort, you know, the Italian battalion And um, it it may be that this Italian regiment is one of the well-known Italian regiments through through history. There was an Italian uh, cohort of archers and they were actually stationed in Caesarea. And so it is likely that he was probably one of the centurions of this very important and well-known archery um, group there. And leading those what we also know of him is not only that part of his character that he was probably a a steadfast stable um, faithful man who had great leadership ability but also we're told that he was a deeply religious man and in his his deep religion says that he he feared God uh, that he was devout these are expressing that he was deeply religious and and worshiped God and in that deep devotion to God he was also generous he had a generousness of heart giving of him his uh, own to meet the needs of others like we've seen before God has been working already in the life of Cornelius though know, he's He's not a devout man. He's not religious. He's not following the ways of the Jews and believing that this God of the Jews is the, is the right God for no reason. We don't know how he came to know that, but we know for some reason he has found in the God of the Jews something he wants to latch on to, something worth giving his life for and living for. Now, being a Gentile meant that he could not be a a as it were a full proselyte he'd be restricted by his his worship he wouldn't be allowed fully in the temple and there were aspects of worship which he couldn't attain to uh, because he was a gentile and not a jew but he understood enough of god to want to know him more so he'd gotten enough the the light that he had gotten from the gentile from the the jews and look this is really how god intended the jews to work that Through the Jews the people would see God and then God could bring them to understand who he was and save them and so here he is he he's come to understand some things about God but the what he'd found in in what the Jews had teaching him and in his worship there was not enough he knew there was more and so he was seeking and he was trying to find God and God had been drawing him seeking him and so as God was seeking him Cornelius was seeking God Cornelius had been given some light some understanding and based on that understanding based on the light that God had given into him he began to follow that light he wanted to know more Cornelius didn't just see the light God gave but he followed that light your salvation has two sides The work of God within us. So what God does within us is he draws us and he convicts us and he opens our eyes but then on the other side there is our response to that work. As God draws us we are then drawn to respond to God and that's where we see Cornelius. God has been doing the work giving him light and showing him who he was and now he is drawing or finding himself seeking the God who has been drawing him. It's interesting though isn't it that when god particularly comes here to to move in cornelius's life that he sends an angel and the angel doesn't give him the gospel He could have but in the bible we never see it at least not until the end when the people of god are taken out of the way the angel comes and god doesn't use the angel to give him the gospel god has another purpose another pattern that he uses So God reaches out to draw the lost. But at the same time, so on this hand, we see God reaching out in the life of Cornelius in the first eight verses there of chapter 10. God reaches out to Cornelius, works in his heart and draws him, speaks to him and tells him what to do. And while he is working over here in Cornelius's life, God is also reaching out over here to move the saved so at the same time god is reaching out to draw the lost and on this side he's reaching out to move the saved as he teaches he's teaching us and drawing us the angel said doesn't tell the gospel the angel tells cornelius see peter the angel sends cornelius to one of the people of god god hasn't commissioned angels to proclaim the gospel he's commissioned us to proclaim the gospel and that's how he works in these days and these times but notice god isn't just reaching out to cornelius he's reaching out to peter at the same time working in both of their lives Peter sees this vision, and it's a, a well-known vision to, to many of us, this sheet coming down filled with, with these animals, both clean and unclean, in terms of how the Jews see things. And Peter's uh, vision prepares him for what is, uh, what is to come by using food. And you know, if you're going to reach into teaching men, food is a good way to do it. So he brings down this sheet to use this food as an illustration. Peter reminds us when he speaks here uh, in replying to God, he says in verse 14, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Peter tells us that he has followed the dietary restrictions of the Jews, which you can find in Leviticus chapter 11, and that's been part of his life. So if it was designated as a clean animal, then he would eat it. But if it was unclean, he would not leave that, And he's been following that his entire life as a Jew. So this makes this moment confusing, doesn't it? Because down from heaven comes this this vision he has. And it has uh, this sheet filled with clean and and unclean. And God, the, the, the God that he is trying to obey by not eating the unclean food, tells him, eat it all. So he's been trying to obey God. And the very God he's trying to obey is telling him, don't worry about the law. It doesn't matter anymore. So it's a confusing moment. So when Peter says, oh, not so, I I can't do this. He's he's in a moment where he has to wrestle with his conscience, with what he's been doing for his entire life. God was using this to teach a grander truth. In fact, Jesus had said the same thing before he left. He'd already hinted at this idea of, of the food and what that would mean globally for the people of God in Mark chapter 7. God's work in this world to save people isn't restricted to working in the life of the unsaved. You know, often when we think about about how God works in saving people, we talk about how the Spirit moves in the life of people to convict and to convince them of the gospel, and that God is working in the lives of the unsaved. And that is absolutely true, and that's what we see happening in Cornelius, that God is working in the life of an unsaved man to draw him to himself. But that is not the only work that God does when he is moving in salvation. He is also moving in the lives of his people so that they will move to present the gospel. So while God is teaching Peter here and opening up and expanding his his ideas, not just on the food, but he's using this idea of the food to help him understand God's purpose for the world, Peter follows He follows So even though he's, he's got this and he, and it doesn't make make sense to him and it's causing him some some confusion and some turmoil we know that because he says in verse 17 now while Peter wondered within himself that is he's he's chewing on it he's he's considering it he's he's trying to figure out what it all means He is so deeply in thought about this that he doesn't hear the man down at the gate calling out is is peter there is this simon's house is peter there and he's up on the roof and he's so deeply in thought he doesn't hear him call the spirit of god comes to him and says pete somebody's calling for you downstairs this is deeply on his mind god is teaching him but he gets up and he follows it begins to work in his mind even when we get to where he first meets cornelius he says god is showing me that it's not just about the Jews, but about more. When Peter's vision is over, he still doesn't really understand, but he obeys it and he follows. He follows God and as he follows God, what God was trying to tell him in that vision becomes more clear. It makes sense when he's on the move and following. Disciples follow Jesus even when we don't fully understand we follow jesus god is teaching us to move us further into his will to understand him more deeply the spirit uses the scriptures to to convict us and to direct us his word is in us to move us into action to draw us into his work So while God is reaching out to Cornelius, he was also reaching out to Peter. Neither knew what God was doing on the other side. But when God is working in you, you have no idea where else he is working at the same time. God is making connections. God reaches out and he brings us together. Verse 24 through verse 43 is the account of how Cornelius and Peter meet and what takes place after they meet. He brings us to brings them together. And one of the first things, in fact, what dominates this whole conversation from beginning to end is this very truth that the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. We are to preach the gospel to all. Begins Peter arrives there in the next day and, and not knowing what's, what's there. The first thing he says in the following day in verse 24, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius is waiting for them. Uh, as Peter is coming in in verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up. In verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So Cornelius is... It seems already, from what it tells us, that Cornelius' household... followers god followers too and they're all there already but cornelius has not just gathered his house together he's called in all his friends the house is full of people full of gentiles sitting there waiting to hear what peter will say then he said to them you know how unlawful it is for a jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another man but god has shown me that i should not call any man common or unclean so it's starting to make sense to him He's not there yet. It, the penny will fully drop in just a moment, but he's not there yet. But he says to him, you, you know, this is, this is very unusual. I shouldn't be here. A Jew shouldn't be coming in to your house, spending time with you. But God is opening my eyes. See, so while God is drawing Cornelius on this side, he is also drawing Peter on this side into motion at the same time this this really is a big deal Peter had been wrestling with this all along he but maybe he had a sleepless night that night knowing that he's invited uh, these travelers Gentiles into the house to spend the night that's very unusual and now he's going to be traveling with them to meet a Gentile and he's still trying to figure it out this is a big deal He's beginning to understand that jesus isn't just the jewish messiah jesus is more than that he is bigger than that that jesus is the savior of all peoples we get a small glimpse of that reality in revelation chapter five when we we get a look into heaven of what it's like in eternity it says and they sung that is the gathered people of god and the angels and they sung a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to god by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation god worked in peter's heart to break down prejudices To break down the things that divided him against those who needed to know the gospel and God's work in us is to the same end to break down the barriers that separate us from people and to bring us together Paul speaks of it beautifully when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 he speaks about the unity that Christ brings and in verse 14 he says for he himself is our peace who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus breaks down what divides us and brings us together. When Peter begins his his sermon, you're in verse 36. He says, the word which God has sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. You see, he is saviour of all because he is Lord of all. He rules over all. We are all his subjects. We are all objects of his vast love. And we will see some of that in more detail on Wednesday night when we talk about the, the personalness of God's love and who he loves and who the objects of God's love are. But whether we end up believing him or not, the reality is he is Lord of all, and every single one of us will bow before him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Salvation, the gospel is for all, and salvation is the same for all. Jesus is Savior. This is one of the first points that, that he makes, that Jesus is Savior. And he recounts for us some of the things that they knew that we know about the life of Jesus but the reason why that he is the Savior of all his response is Peter's response is is wonderful despite his previous uncertainty for all of this and despite the barriers between Jew and Gentile that exist without hesitation in that moment without hesitation When he asked Cornelius, what do you want? And he says, tell us what God has given to you. Peter says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you that he brings peace. Let me tell you that he is the savior of all. Let me tell you what you can know of God. All the reservations and all the things that had been hindering him for all this time. And that he's been struggling with in that moment makes sense. The vision he saw coming down, he says, this isn't just about Jew and Gentile. This isn't just about food that's clean and unclean. This is about Jesus being for everyone. And in that moment, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. He recognized the grand truth that Jesus is savior for all. Verse 36, he tells us that Jesus is true peace. As Paul would say in Ephesians, and he came and preach peace to you who were afar off, that is, the Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or what you have done, Jesus is the Savior you need. Jesus humbled himself to live perfectly. He was crucified, not for his sin, not for his uh, wrongdoing, but for ours to pay the debt for our sin and then rose again the third day to give us life eternal. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates shows his love toward us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you haven't believed Jesus as saviour, I want you to know today, Jesus can save you from sin and judgment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul reminds us who we've just seen his great salvation earlier, says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is the same for all. That is that Jesus is Savior But Peter also reminds us in verse 42 that Jesus is judge. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is savior and Jesus is judge. We will all be held accountable for this life. We cannot escape it. He will hold us accountable. The only thing that makes a difference in that judgment is Jesus. When we believe Jesus, you are no longer condemned for your sin. You are no longer held accountable for what you did. But you are made right with God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus no condemnation we don't fear the judge but for those who have rejected jesus for those who have refused to believe that jesus is the savior there is eternal and horrible condemnation jesus is savior jesus is judge and the third thing that that paul shows, or that peter shows us here about jesus is that jesus is forgiving verse 43 to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins god doesn't find pleasure in the consequences of sin we read that even in lamentations this morning that it is not god's heart to bring judgment god doesn't find pleasure in the consequences of sin That's why he has done everything possible to save us from sin, to provide that salvation. He is ready, he is willing, and he is able to forgive no matter the depths of the wickedness of our heart. Anyone, absolutely anyone who believes Jesus as Savior will be forgiven, freed from sin, and given life. Do you understand the implications of that statement for someone like Peter? As he stands there and he looks at a house full of Gentiles. God has so worked in his life now and so seen the work of God that now he is saying, everyone, doesn't matter who you are, can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God reaches out. He brings us together together and he connects us. Verse 44 it says while Peter was still speaking these were still speaking these words the holy spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So while he's still presenting the gospel it's clear the people in in there believe they hear and they go yes he's right they believe Jesus what God has been doing all along is finally there and they understand and just like it did with the Jews at Pentecost uh, with with Peter and just like it did with the Samaritans when when Peter visited them and he went there and the Holy Spirit came so it happens here to the Jews and it's significant that Peter is at all three of those events where the Spirit comes And he says, because he stands there, Peter, and he has six other Jews right there. And they watch that moment. Peter has been presenting the gospel. And while he's presenting the gospel, God breaks in and says, yes, this is what I want. And the Jews standing there are amazed. And they see that what Peter has doing is not as crazy as they thought, but God actually loves it. It is so much God's will that while Peter is there preaching, God has approved it by giving his spirit. Now the Jews know that stand there and they will tell him, we'll see more of it in chapter 11, that God is not just the God of the Jews, but God is the God and savior of all. Everywhere and of every person he is making us one in heart. Verse 47 After the Spirit comes and they they believe verse 47 says can anyone forbid water that there should not be that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. And it's this phrase that caught my attention. Just as we have. Just as we have. He makes us one in heart. The Spirit comes in this manner is a testimony to the jews that are there and god approves what is is happening but something else beautiful happens here it's not just just the coming of the spirit that's amazing and wonderful and has grand implications but something else beautiful happens here in this moment yes baptism is there and they identify themselves with the people of god including the jews so now they are identified as one people in baptism But that phrase that Peter says at the the end, we we see Peter's heart, don't we? He doesn't say, well, is there any reason why we shouldn't baptize these people now that we have Gentile believers? No, he says, is there any reason why we shouldn't baptize these people so they can identify with God and us? We're the same. We're family now. god has connected them in heart peter recognizes the wonderful work of god and counts them as family these people that just days ago he never would have thought never would have thought to presented the gospel to the gentiles like this now they're family family he makes us one in heart and he makes us one in life Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now he's staying with them. It's not just that they're family in word. Now, Peter is staying in the home of a Gentile and counting them as family. Two groups that despised each other now have genuine fellowship. God is making connections. He is connecting us with Christ. He's connecting us with Christ like like Cornelius. God is reaching out in this world to draw people to himself. He is working in this world to, to make people see and understand the gospel to make peace between God and men. This is our message. It's the message of reconciliation that God and humanity can be together you have a wonderful relationship with God God makes connections he is connecting us to Christ but he's also by connecting us to Christ connecting us to each other God's reconciliation also brings us together breaks down the middle wall of partition which separates whatever it was before that divided us god is making connections between people he is making us family god is connecting us to our message as we take in god's word we wrestle with it right we hear god's word in our study or in a sermon and we we take it in and we we wrestle with it and we we let god's God's word work in us and and change us. And through his his word, he is preparing us and he is equipping us. Just like we saw Peter. God God opens Peter's eyes and helps him understand. Peter wrestles with it and and mulls over it in his mind trying to figure out what this means. And then what he's been wrestling with, the work that God has been doing in his life and the the wrestling he has had begins to make sense as he follows. And what he's been learning, he begins to connect to the life that he's living. Connect God's word to our life. Hearing God's word doesn't, doesn't always have to have immediately recognizable application. Just because we hear God's word today doesn't mean that today I'm going to know exactly what God means for me in that word. But it's for me to take and to wrestle with and to think on and to contemplate so that as I follow him, then it begins to make sense. Then I find out what he meant by that. Often we need to wrestle with it. And then God when he is ready will show us how it makes sense we sit here today worshiping God as a group diverse group of people because Peter witnessed to Cornelius the gospel branches out into the world from this moment we also see the beautiful personal way in which God accomplishes his eternal purpose. The kingdom of God isn't advanced by force, but by changed lives. It's not advanced by domination, but by reconciliation. To do that, God is working mightily in this world by drawing the unsaved to himself and by moving his people into action. God is working on both sides. You know, often our fear of serving God and our fear of sharing the gospel is in the idea that we're starting cold, that if I share the gospel with somebody, if I'm if I open to share the gospel, I've got to do all the work. I've got to explain to them all the gospel is. I've got to help them understand who God is and who sin is. And I've got to go through the whole thing and, and I've got to kind of warm them up to see who God is. You know, I have to make them see Jesus. But perhaps the reason you feel compelled to share the gospel to them is because God is moving you into action to somebody he has already been drawing to himself. And we don't see the work God has done on the other side. Not until he connects us. And then the work that God has been doing in my life and the work that God has been doing in, doing in their life comes together so that they can be connected to God and connected to us. You know i've been considering one way and i've been mulling over and, and considering some things ways that we can reach out to a particular group of of people personally and as as i've been thinking and mulling over this i'm trying to figure out how can i how can i invite these or 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 make a connection with people that has a good chance of being of being received and not rejected i think well how can i how can i word that how can i say that so that that you know, it's not going to put people off. They're going to think they're going to see it and they're going to want to, to invest. They're going to want to be involved in this aspect of what we, how we want to reach into their lives. And then it dawned on me that it fails to recognise that God is working on both sides. There's a reason that God has put this into our heart and to move us because there's probably somewhere where he's working on the other side that I have no idea where that is and what he's doing. And it's not my job to try and figure out who it is, but just simply to follow and let God make the connection. This morning, God is reaching out to us. Maybe it's because you need to know Jesus as Savior and he wants to connect you with himself. Maybe God is reminding us that we have a ministry of connection, of reconciliation. Maybe right now, on your mind, you, you know where that move needs to be. If that person's been on my mind. That ministry has been on my mind. That that has been on my mind. Maybe right now, you know where that move needs to be. Say, that's what I need to do. Or maybe that connection will come later. But remember, God is at work in this world, reaching out to bring us together and to connect us in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for illustration we thank you for this moment in history which has phenomenal cosmic implications but also magnificently glorious personal ones we thank you that in this magnificently personal moment we also get a little glimpse behind the scenes of how you're working and that while you are working in this world to draw people to you you are also working in our lives to draw us to them Help us, dear God, like Peter and like Cornelius to say with immediacy and simplicity, yes, and follow your word. Use us, dear God, to connect people to you and to bring a people who can be called family. Thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.